it is for each of you. But we just want to thank you for being our moms and everything you put up with. And I, I think that is, is special that you are our mothers. And I think of my own mom who is with the Lord today. And I just know how much she did for me and for my two older brothers. And uh, just the impact she had on our lives in terms of her faith, her walk with the Lord, uh, her sacrifices, very sac- sacrificial mom, uh, very loving mom. And uh, so I look back at, at my relationship with my mom, and I am just so, so very thankful for uh, the woman who called me her son and uh, did so much for me. So uh, I, I want to share a little bit. We're going to be looking at... Uh, this morning, the idea of building a legacy. A legacy is, is something you pass on, you pass down. I looked it up in the dictionary, and it said a legacy may be money that you pass on, like uh, you pass on a legacy of a million dollars. Not going to happen with my kids, but it's, uh, it's a legacy. It may be your spiritual walk, your relationship with God. I'll come back to that in a moment, but somebody wrote down about mothers. Mother's Day is traditionally the day when children give something back to their mothers for all the spit they produce to wash their dirty faces, all the old gum they held in their hands, all the noses they wiped, and all the bloody knees they made well with their kisses. This is the day mothers are rewarded for washing sheets in the middle of the night, driving kids to school when they missed the bus. That was back when we used to take them. And enduring all of those football and soccer games in the rain. It's a day of appreciation for making your children finish something they said they couldn't do. Not believing them when they said, I hate you, and sharing their good times and their bads. What are mothers? Well, mothers are teachers. Mothers are disciplinarians. Mothers are cleaning ladies. And some mothers are gardeners and mowers of lawns. Mothers are nurses and doctors and psychologists and counselors and chauffeurs. And coaches, mothers are developers of personalities. They're molders of vocabularies and shapers of attitudes. Mothers are soft voices saying, I love you. And mothers are a link to God. A child's first impression of God's love. Mothers are all of these things and much, much more. And the one thing I found about mothers is they, if they know the Lord and they have a relationship with him, want to pass that on to their children. They want to build that legacy in their children. They want their children to know the Jesus that they know and how much he loves them and how much he means to their life. I, I, I think it's so wonderful when we can look back in our lives and see that we come from a family where a legacy was established. I, I don't know how far back the legacy in my family goes. Uh, this last week we were at the hospital with uh, Grace Lynn, and I was holding her, and they took a picture. And uh, I was there, Darlene was on one side, uh, Juliet was on the other side, and I noticed that my hand was kind of hanging over the chair like this, and I had Grace Lynn in my arm. And I thought back to a picture that we had of my great-great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, or I guess great-grandfather Spalding. And great-grandfather Spalding loved the Lord. He was a Presbyterian minister. And uh, I didn't know him, but I heard about him. I heard about what he was like. And he 
instilled in his children a love for God. His daughter was Amy Spaulding. She married Jesse Cochran, and both of them loved the Lord. And they raised their seven children to love the Lord, and one of those men became a Presbyterian minister. Those individuals raised their children, the vast majority of them. It, it breaks down a little bit, but basically raised their children to know the Lord. And there are two of us that are on the mission field and two of us who are in the ministry. And that was passed down, and I think back to those four generations, and now we are passing that same faith on to our children and grandchildren. And that's one of my great hopes and my great desires is that as Gracelyn is, is a new baby here, that there is a day when she, by faith, will receive Jesus Christ as her own Savior and Lord. And it's a decision she has to make. I can't make it for her, but I can certainly see as her grandfather that she, that she hears about God and she hears about the Lord and that it's important to her. Well, I want to talk about a family today that had a legacy. If you have your Bibles, turn to... Uh, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And here was a situation where there was a grandmother and a mother and a boy. A grandmother, a mother, and a boy. A grandmother, a mother, and a son. 2 Timothy chapter 1, in just the fifth verse, Paul was writing to Timothy. Now, Timothy was, he called him his son in the spirit. He called him his spiritual son. They were so close. Timothy had followed uh, along with Paul. He had left his mom. He had left his grandmother to go with him. But it was his mother and grandmother who really instilled the love of Jesus Christ in his life. And listen to verse 5 of 2 Timothy 1. It says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it dwells in you too, Timothy. I'm sure that it's a reality in you also. And I can just kind of picture that. Uh, they were living in Derby. They were living in an area of, of uh, Rome. They were not in Jerusalem. They were not down in Judah or Judea. They were living outside of there. Um, his mother, Eunice, was married to a Greek. She wasn't married to a Jew. They weren't, he was not one who studied the, the Torah or the Old Testament like the women did. But I can think about Lois. Here she was, a grandmother, and she was probably raised in that area. And she learned about all the stories. She learned about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and she learned about Moses and how he went up on the mountain, and God gave him the Ten Commandments that we're studying on Sundays now. She, she probably learned about... Joshua and how he led the people into the promised land and then she learned about some of the judges and she learned about David, Solomon, uh, the prophets. And when she got old enough, she had learned this most likely from her parents and she passed it on to her daughter Eunice. And Eunice would sit there with her mother and she would tell her the Bible stories and, and she would learn those stories and then when she got older and she had Timothy Apparently, Lois's husband had probably died, and she came to live with Eunice and her husband. And so they took little Tim, and they shared the Bible stories with him. What a great opportunity. You know, God gives parents a responsibility of, of teaching their children the things of the Lord. The church is here to support you. We're here to help you with that. We have a great program on Sunday morning for the kids over there. We have... 
uh, things going on during the week. We, we now have a trail life program here on Tuesday night for the boys. It's likened to a Boy Scout ministry. And, and so we have a lot of things in ways that we can help you. But really that legacy comes down from mom and dad to the kids, to the grandkids, to the great-grandkids. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 really gives a picture. Paul was talking about it for Timothy. He says, Timothy, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, I want you to take what I've taught you. He was the first one. Timothy's the second. I want you to teach somebody else that can teach somebody else for generations. That's your job. That's what I want you to do. And so I want to give you four principles this morning for the ladies as well as the men in terms of things you can do to help establish your children in the things of the Lord. And uh, they they come primarily from the lives of these two women and Timothy, but also we'll be looking back a little bit at a woman by the name of, well, her sons were James and John, and her husband was Zebedee. I'm really not sure what her name was. But I want to give you four things. And if you have your sermon notes, you probably want to write them down there. And the first one is that you need to pray for the salvation and the spiritual growth of your children. You know, we pray for a lot of things for our kids. I would imagine most you moms spend a lot of time in prayer for your kids. Oh, Lord, help them out. They've got to get their grades right. Or uh, there's illness in the family. Could you make them better? Uh, we need help with our finances, Lord. We don't have quite enough money to make the bills this month. And... And it's important to pray for those things. We should pray for our kids' personalities and their anger problems and some of those issues and joy and happiness, and I think that's important. But the very first thing that I think we should pray for is their salvation. And when you, as a mother, would begin to know, when you, you know that you're going to have that child, that's the time to begin. Don't wait until they're... 10 or 12 or 15, but, but begin to pray early. Uh, pray that they would come to know the Lord and they would walk with him and there would be that relationship. Pray that they will enter the kingdom of God. I, I thought about this woman back here, uh, wife of Zebedee, back in Matthew chapter 20. You don't need to turn there, but she was the mother of James and John, and actually, oftentimes when we come to this passage, we think of her as a little presumptuous, but it really shows you what she thought about her children. Um, they were in the inner circle with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. You may realize that they were part of the 12 disciples, and they followed along with them. And In chapter 20 and beginning in the 20th verse of Matthew, it says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down that picture of prayer, that picture of a request of one who is higher and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on the right hand and one on your left. I'm sure she knew a lot about the kingdom. She had heard teaching. She had heard Jesus talk about it. And, and I'm sure she expected her sons to be there because, you see, they were in that inner circle. She was a little bit presumptuous in that she said, you know, in that they're your best friends and they're really close to you. I'd like them to have positions of authority. But the first thing I want you to realize is that she needed to ask, Jesus, they're going to make it into the kingdom? 
I want my sons to be there. I want to know that someday when uh, I'm in heaven and I believe that's where I will be based on what I read in the word of God, we aren't going to respond to one another in the same way as family when we get there. But I want to know my kids are going to be there. I want to know my granddaughters are going to be there. And so that begins right now with me praying for them. I need to set that as a priority that every day I bring them before the Lord and I pray for them. And then when they come to know the Lord, I need to continue to pray for their spiritual growth. Paul was praying for the people in Colossians, and in the first chapter, in the ninth verse, he said, For this reason, since we day we heard of it, since we heard of your salvation, oh, we haven't ceased to pray for you, and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. When your kids... When your children get into their late teens, sometimes it's before that, but into their late teens and early 20s, sometimes the decisions they make aren't the best. They aren't exactly where God would have them to be, and they're not where you would have them to be. And I'll tell you, the only way I know to keep that from becoming a reality is to bring them into the presence of the Lord and help them to grow in that relationship. And so we need to pray to that end. You need to pray to the end that they would grow and, and become everything that God would have them to be. And boy, if they wander from the Lord, you bring them back again. But it starts with prayer. And it starts with prayer on our behalf, praying for our children. The second thing that I see with Timothy's family is that they instructed him in the Word of God. They gave him a love for the Word of God. And, and I think we need to do that as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verses 14 and 15, listen to what it says. You, however, continue in the things you learn. Timothy is writing, you continue on the things you learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to, here it is, salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Where do you learn it? You learn it from the Bible. You learn it from studying the Word of God. Uh, we need to be teaching our kids according to the principles of, of the Word. You know, in, in uh, Proverbs, there's a, a, a great verse that is often used in terms of raising kids. It's chapter 22 in the sixth verse, and I want to read to you from the Living Translation. It just helps us to get a little picture of, of what it says. I, I know uh, for all my years, it's uh, bring up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. But listen to what it says here. It, it gives us a little different picture. It says, teach your children to choose the right path. Teach them to choose the right path. How do you do that? They need to know the word of God. That's, that's where you take them. It says when they are older, they're going to remain on that path. They're going to know what you've taught them and what's important and, and what they're to study, what they're to do, how they're to live. Romans chapter 10, 
makes another statement in terms of teaching our kids the word of God, letting them hear the word and, and grow in the grace of that word. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and, and 14, it says, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how then are they going to call on him in whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? goes down to verse 17 and it says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. In other words, the one thing you need to do is you need to be teaching your children to love the word of God. I, I would tell you today, I think one of the most positive things you can do with a small child is to go in and, and sit maybe in their bedroom when they're going to sleep, get a Bible story book, and begin to read through that, or find a translation that they can understand. Uh, I'm a strong individual on wanting to have a, a solid translation of the Bible. I use the New American Standard for my study, but I think sometimes when we have children and we have individuals that maybe can't understand something so well, get something they can understand. And I think that's important. You tell them about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You tell them about Moses. You tell them about how they went through the wilderness. You tell them about how God delivered the, uh, the Israelites from the Egyptians. You tell them about how Joshua led them into the land. You, you walk through. You talk about Elijah and Elisha and, and how God used them to overcome the, the idols of that nation. You see, it's, it's as you do that, it makes an impression on them. And you know, it's never too late uh, you may not get them a small Bible story book, but there's, there's a point where you can sit down at the dinner table and you can bring out the Bible and just read a couple verses. What does that mean? What do you think that implies? It's so important that we teach our kids to love the Bible, that we pray for them. And then number three is that we need to set an example for them. I... Uh, I read about three pastors and they were all talking about the translation of the Bible they liked best and one said he liked the New American Standard, the other liked the King James, somebody liked the NIV, they all had reasons. They came to the fourth pastor and they said, which translation do you like best? He says, my mother's. They said, what do you mean? <laughs> Your mom's. He said, she lives it through her life. It's the example it, it says here in this fifth verse again, it says, For I'm mindful of the sincere faith. Sincere is, is the key word there. I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you. It's real. It's not fake. Uh, sincere means it's not hypocritical. It's not fake. We hear a lot about uh, fake news today, don't we? And, and the idea of fake news is they want you to believe something when in reality it may not be true or probably isn't true. Well, I want to talk about fake faith. Fake faithers are people that want to appear to be spiritual. They want to appear to people that they have it together with the Lord, but in reality it's, it's not there. Somebody can come to church and they can be one person here. They go home and there's somebody totally different with their family and kids. They go to work and it's even different. Maybe they have three different personalities. 
It's hard to keep those straight, isn't it? (laughs) But I'll tell you something about when we fake it. Our kids watch us. They watch us like hawks. And they know whether we're real or not. And if we're not real, they may come to the conclusion, is God real? Is is it really worth following him based on what I see in my mom or my dad or people in the church? And they reach that point in their late teens, early 20s, and they say, I don't want to go there anymore. It doesn't make a difference. We're to be sincere. We're to be real. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. But it means that we set an example that our children can follow. My mom and dad weren't perfect. But wow, they set an example for all three of their sons. I think another thing that we can do, uh, parents, moms, dads, is that we can we can demonstrate to them the presence of God. You know, I think we talk about God as somebody a long ways off. We don't see him as so relevant to our lives. We don't understand. I was so thankful last week when we had communion and I asked people to give me an illustration of the presence of God in their life. What's he doing? We call it a God sighting here. And uh, it came out of one of the vacation Bible school programs that we had. How, how do you see God today? Where is he? Boy, I, I went back, and, and this, this week, as I was reading through Psalms 104, I won't ask how many of you have been reading through, but I'm reading through each, each week what we have laid out in the program for us to read in the bulletin. And I came to 104, and I thought, wow, that says so much. Praise the Lord. I tell myself, oh, Lord, my God, how great you are. You are robed in honor and with majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariots and ride upon the wings of the wind. And the winds are your messengers and flames of fire are your servants. I think one of the best ways to show kids the presence of God is to study the creation, to study science, and just begin to understand that God put it all together. We're afraid to put our faith and science together, and we shouldn't be. We need to look at how it comes together. He says, you place the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. It, it, it stays its course. It's, it's the right distance from the sun. It, it's the right distance from the moon. It has its seasons. It says, you clothe the earth with floods of water that covered even the mountains. Uh, on the third day of creation, if you go back and read it, you'll realize that the, the earth was covered with water. And at the sound of your rebuke, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, it fled away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed. It was your will. that it, You set how high they would be. And then you set a firm boundary for the sea so that it would never again cover the earth. Uh, We don't have to worry about global warming drowning us all. You make the springs pour water into the ravines. So streams gush down from the mountains and they provide water for all of the animals. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Oh, the birds nest beside the streams and they sing among the branches of the trees and you send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home. 
You fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. You cause grass to grow for the cattle, and you cause plants to grow for people to use, and you allow them to produce food from the earth. Oh, wine to make them glad, and olive oil as a lotion for their skin, and bread to give them strength. The trees of the Lord are well cared for. The cedars of Lebanon that they planted where the birds make their nest and the storks make their homes in the firs. High in the mountains are the pastures of wild goats and the rocks form the rod refuge for rock badgers. You made the moon to mark the seasons and the sun that knows when to set. You sent darkness and it became night when all of the forest animals prowl about, when the young lions roar for their food, but they are Dependent on God, at dawn they slink back into their dens to rest, and then people go off to their work, and they labor until the evening, and the shadows fall again. Oh, Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the ocean, fast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both great and small. See the ships sailing along? The Leviathan, that's a sea monster which you made to play in the sea. Every one of these depend on you to give them food as they need it. And when you supply it, they gather it. They open, you open your hand to feed them and they are satisfied. But if you turn away from them, they panic. And when you take away their breath, they die and turn again to dust. When you send your spirit, new life is born to replenish the living of the earth. I'll end it there, but what I want you to understand is so often when we go to the mountains, we look, wow, that's beautiful. We, we go for hikes and we go up into the hills or we go to the coast and we are enamored with the beauty and the vastness of the sea. But how often with our kids do we stop to say, do you know who created that? Have you noticed how the stream rushes down from the mountains and the animals come to drink and the plant life is fed and there's plenty of water and the birds are in the trees and they're nesting alongside of it? It was all in your plan. That's what it says here. It was his decree. You see, we can take those things and we can teach our children exactly who created them. We need to see the presence of God in the world in which we exist and realize that his handprint, his fingerprints are all over everything that we see and experience. And parents, you need to do that for your children because they're going to be told that God has nothing to do with it otherwise. And it's only as we go back and realize that. I was, I was thinking about photosynthesis I'm not a scientist. I had to look it up, and I don't have it all today. But I thought about the chlorophyll that's in the leaves of the trees, and it, and it takes in the sunlight. It turns that light into energy. The tree from its roots draws forth moisture or water, and in the leaf it draws the carbon dioxide, putting them together, and it brings in two different things. It creates two different things, and they're beneficial to us. Did you realize that? Number one is oxygen. You have to have that to breathe, breathe, and the other is our food. Without the trees and without that photosynthesis, we wouldn't have those things. They tell us today that leafy green vegetables are good for you. How, how many of you have heard that? How many of you run out and eat a lot of spinach? 
There are a few of you who do that. That's okay, folks. You're all right. Uh, Do you know what they say is in there? That chlorophyll in there is beneficial in stopping cancer, for one thing. Another thing I understand from what I was reading is that it it, uh, takes away some of the inflammation some of us experience. It's healthy, but it's exactly what God created. Do your children understand that? Do we take them back to to understand as parents what God has done? We need to be praying for their spiritual growth. We need to be teaching them the word and, and setting a godly example for them. And the last thing I want you to understand is we need to teach them to serve. I think of when Jesus went into the upper room and he met with his disciples and there was no one there to wash their feet. And he got down before each of his disciples and he began to wash their feet. And Peter says, you can't do this to me. And Jesus said, well, if I don't do it, you won't have any of me. And then when he was finished, he says, do you understand what I've done? He says, I washed your feet. Now you go do the same thing. Do you know what he was really saying? I washed your feet. I served you. Now you go serve one another. The thing is, God never called us to come and just sit in a worship service. He called us to learn the word of God and apply it so we serve God one another, and we serve the world in which we live. Back in in Acts chapter 16, Paul was on his second missionary journey. And he came to the area of Derby and Lystra. He'd been there on an earlier missionary journey, and apparently Lois and Eunice had heard him speaking, and they heard what he shared about the Messiah having come, and they believed, they accepted it, as well as Timothy. And in chapter 16, Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. And a disciple, they didn't call him a, a Christian or a young man in the church. They said he's a disciple. He's a student was there named Timothy, son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But her father was a Greek. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of. He had a great reputation by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him and he took him and circumcised him, and because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they knew his father was a Greek. I want you to understand something. These two women prayed for their son. Oh, Timothy, we bring you before the Lord. They taught him the word of God. They taught him what the Bible says. They they shared that with him. They, They lived their lives before him. And I would imagine Lois and Eunice were there to help the widows and to help other people that were struggling and going through hard times. They probably served and ministered to a lot of the people who were Christians and Jews. And Timothy saw that. He began to realize that, hey, I'm to serve other people too. And when Paul came and he said, Timothy, I want you to come with him. He was probably, I don't know, his late teens maybe. And he went, went to serve the Lord because that's what God called him to do. Now, I want you to understand something. This is the hard part. His grandmother, Lois, was there. His mother, Eunice, was there. And they knew that when Timothy left that place, Paul had been stoned. He had been beaten. He had gone through hard times. And yet when their son was ready to go, their grandson, 
They had raised him for that purpose and they released him. Moms, if God calls, are you ready to release your child? In fact, do you pray, Lord, I know he won't make the most money and, and I know that he's going to struggle at some things, but Lord, if you want my child to be a pastor, if you want my child to be the wife of a pastor, if you want my child to be a missionary anywhere in this world, they're yours. And you let go. Are you preparing them for the ministry? If God doesn't call them, they won't go. But if he does, are you ready to release them? And it comes from us being servants. I'm going to ask Darlene to come up. And I want you to think about it because this is really so important that we think in our own lives, Lord, make me the servant that I can see my son or my daughter become a servant. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me and just sing this song. It's kind of a commitment in terms of what we want for us, but also what we want for our children. And so I'm going to ask you to sing it with me. Make me like you, Lord. Make me like you. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as, as we come today, I, I, I think of the moms we have. They're so special. They make such a difference in our lives. And, and Father, as I, I looked at grandmother, it's not too late for us to make a difference in our children and our grandchildren's lives, Father. To be there for them, to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ to them. Help us to be servants in our homes, whether a wife, a mother, a husband, a father. Help us to be servants to our kids, to bring them to you, to, to pray for them regularly, Father, that they might know you if they don't know you, and if they do know you, to help them grow in that relationship, Father, to share the word of God with them. Oh, man, daily life, walking as we walk, wherever we go, sharing the word of God. This is what the word says. This is how it applies to our lives, Father. Let our kids see that. Let us set that example, Father a sincere example of faith. Thank you, Father, for godly parents who have done that. Thank you for legacies that have gone through generations. And some of the people sitting here today, I'm sure, come through godly legacies. Others are the beginners. They're the ones that are starting it. They, they're not fake faithers, Father. They're real. And they're teaching their kids. Help them to do that. Give them the strength and work within their families to see their kids grow up to love you and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, Father. Thank you for each parent. Bless them for each mother. Bless her. And might you be glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.